Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. I have a question for you. Are you self-led or are you spirit-led? The fruits of the Spirit will help you answer this question because if you follow the leading of the Spirit every day, the Spirit's going to lead you straight to the fruits of the Spirit. What are some of the fruits of the Spirit? Well, if you want joy, follow the Spirit. If you want peace, follow the Holy Spirit. If you want faith, follow the Spirit. It's not always easy to switch from being self-led to being Spirit-led, though. We're so used to being led by our own fears and worries or led by our own ambition, but being led by the Spirit is going to take you so much farther than you could ever reach on your own. We'll see that Abraham, who was led by the Spirit, achieved a legacy that lasts to this day, while Lot, who was self-led, ended up losing everything he had. The most significant lesson I've learned from this study is that a Christian, believe it or not, can be self-led, even though they shouldn't be, and as a result, live a miserable, fruitless life. But that's not what God ever intended for you. He shows you and teaches you how to live a spirit-led life full of joy and productivity. So listen in and see how the spirit-led life is so much better than the self-led life. But we're going to look at his nephew Lot. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, am I self-led or am I spirit-led? And what can I learn from Lot and Abraham? And so I'm going to start reading here in Genesis 13 and uh, read through a couple of different chapters, and I'll tell you what those are, all surrounding the story of Lot and Abraham. Lot and Abraham. And I'm not going to rehash what we talked about last week. You can go back into Genesis 11 and Genesis 12 if you missed out and kind of get caught up, or you can listen to the sermon online as well. Um, So, But here it goes. In Genesis 13 it says, So Abram went up from Egypt, because he'd gone down to Egypt because of a famine. And by the way, the Spirit sometimes leads you by providence. In other words, your circumstances force you into a certain direction. And that's what we see with Abraham uh, happening with Abram. And I'm sorry that I'm switching back and forth between Abram and Abraham. I'm, I do that accidentally. I'm going to try to call him Abram, because at this point that was that's what his name was. But circumstances pushed him down into Egypt. And don't be surprised when God lets circumstances push you in a certain direction. His, his hand of providence, of destiny, is working in your life. And you've got to realize that. So he comes back up out of Egypt with his wife and everything that he had. And Lot went with him. Now we're going to be talking a lot about Lot. Remember, Lot was Abram's nephew. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. From the Negev, he went up from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. And you're going to see a, a consistent habit that Abram had throughout his lifetime of building altars and calling on the name of the Lord. A spirit-led man or woman is going to build altars to the Lord and they're going to call on the name of the Lord when they're desperate, when they're not desperate. Why, why do we call on the name of the Lord? Because 
Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Abram realized this. So do we go out and build physical uh, altars to the Lord any na- nowadays? Well, of course not. We don't do that. The Bible says in Romans 12, though, that we are to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God. That's building an altar uh, to the Lord nowadays, a spiritual altar of offering yourself to the Lord, no longer being self-led, but being spirit-led. Let's keep on in Genesis 13:5. Now, Lot, who was moving around with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So it sounds like his nephew Lot was fairly well-to-do, uh, well-off, had uh, quite a bit of material things, just as his uncle Abram had as well. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herds and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites also lived in the land at that time. So it wasn't just Abram and Lot, but it was the people that lived in that land. There just wasn't enough grass and and real estate to go around for all the people living there, but in particular, Lot and Abram. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, remember that Abram had been blessed of God, and God was already promising this whole land to Abram. Abram could have easily said, Lot, I want you to take a hike. I want you to go north, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take over this whole area right now. But I want you to notice this blessed man, Abram. He was meek. He was meek, and my dad pointed this out several Sunday nights ago. Abram was an example of meekness, and Jesus spoke of the meek as being blessed because they will inherit the earth, all right? Meek is not weak, as we learned. Meek is simply having God's power under God's control, under his authority. And a meek person, listen to this, a spirit-led person is going to exhibit meekness. And why would that be? Why would a spirit person exhibit meekness? Well, the reason is a meek person has a whole lot of confidence in God. They don't have much insecurity. They don't have a controlling spirit about them. Why? Because they are very confident and sufficient in their Savior, in God. And a, a, a meek person is secure enough to allow other people to make decisions that might even affect them. So you know why that is? Because they know that they're serving a sovereign God that's in complete and total control over the things in their, in their lives and around their lives. You can be secure in God. You don't have to be insecure and, and controlling. You can rest in the sovereignty of your God and let others go first. And that's exactly what Abram did. If I'm led by the Spirit, I'm not going to be self-centered. I'm not going to be self-serving. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm going to let others go first, even if they themselves are selfish. Praise God. That, you know what? When you get to that level of confidence in God, 
you are not going to be shaken by just about any situation or any selfish person because you know God is in control. And so Abram exhibited that fruit of the Spirit that's meekness, also referred to as gentleness when you look at the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 2, um, 22 through 23. Uh, listen to this. The Holy Spirit is going to lead a person to begin to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. What are those fruits? Well, we know them to be in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, or call it faithfulness, gentleness, and that's the word meekness, by the way. A, a meek person is a gentle person. Why? Because they have the strength of the Lord. They don't have to exert their strength because they know God will exert his strength on their behalf. All right? And then there's self-control. And, and in Galatians 5.23, it says, Against such things there is no law. You can tell if you or someone else is being led by the Spirit of God through their fruits or through your fruits. That's how you know if you're being led of the Spirit of God because the Spirit leads you to love. The Spirit leads you to joy. The, the Spirit leads you to peace, to goodness, to faithfulness, to meekness, to self-control. So if you say, Steve, I don't have these fruits of the Spirit. I'm struggling with self-control. Here's the answer. Let the Spirit lead you to self-control. Stop being self-led and start being Spirit-led and the Spirit will lead you, not in years, not in months, not even in weeks, not even in days. He can lead you in hours to self-control. Let the Spirit of God lead you. See, we, we place such a heavy emphasis on the Spirit guiding our life decisions. But more importantly, is the Spirit leading us in that spiritual inner journey. That's where the Spirit really shines. Now, the Spirit is certainly going to lead you in your life decisions. Don't get me wrong. But our focus needs to be on our inner spiritual journey towards these fruits of the Spirit, conforming to the image of Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. He leads us to con be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now look at this spiritual journey spoken of in Psalms 23. Remember that? That's, the, uh, that's that famous uh, psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's that one, okay? Psalms 23, listen to this inner journey that David is, is led by the Spirit of God through. It says in Psalms 23 verse 2, He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I might walk through the darkest valley, or some of us have heard it referred to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Let's stop being self-led and let's start being spirit-led. He's going to lead us to those fruits of the spirit that we crave so much in our lives. But let's continue to read on about uh, about Lot here in Genesis 13, verse 10. Lot looks, so remember, uh, uh, Abram has just said, Lot, you pick the way you want to go. You go left, I'll go right. You go north, I'll go south. He gave him the decision. So here's what Lot did. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards 
Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Now this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now most anybody uh, probably has heard about Sodom and Gomorrah, and you may not know what it's referencing. Well, this story is going to get you acquainted with that uh, that history, all right? Verse 11, so, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Well, let's, let's kind of pull apart the story and see how Lot was self-led. First of all, we see that Lot looked around and saw, all right? We're talking about being self-led versus spirit-led, and so let's look at what Lot did and see if you and I can't identify with Lot in this, in, this, in this story. Lot looked around and saw. Now let me ask you a question. Are your life decisions dictated just by what you see? In other words, I, you know, let's say I wasn't married yet. I see an incredibly beautiful woman and just based on her looks, I decide to marry her. I make a decision based on what I see. Now, Many people take that approach and end up divorced within years, maybe even sooner. I had a friend, in fact, a high school friend, that, that took that road. He, he made that decision, and within 11 months, his wife cheated on him. So you can make your decisions just dictated based on what you see. Um, if so, you'll be heavily influenced by what seems to be. By what seems to be. Lot saw what seemed to be the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. That's what he thought it looked like. It might seem like you should date that person, but have you asked God yet? It might seem like you need to move out of El Paso to another city or wherever you live to another city, but have you asked God first? It might seem like you need to change jobs, but have you asked God first? It might seem like you need to change churches and find a new church, but have you asked God first? It might seem like you need to tell that person like it is, but have you asked God first? You see what I mean? It's, it's not always what it seems to be, and only God can help you see deeper if you'll just give Him an opportunity, give Him a chance. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and He's going to direct your paths. That's in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Stop looking at what's on the surface and look deeper. Have God help you see deeper. The second thing, so Lot looked around and saw, and then Lot chose for himself. The Bible says this. He chose for himself. When you're led of the Spirit, you don't choose for yourself anymore and by yourself anymore. You choose because the Spirit of God chooses first. You want to choose what God chooses. Why, why, would you, why would you do that? You choose what God chooses because God knows what's best for you. And you got to trust that God knows what's best for you. And through experience, you begin to realize, hey, every time I let God make the choice, my life gets just better and better 
and better. So why shouldn't I let him help me choose and make decisions? Look at this. Joshua chose to take Jericho because God chose Jericho first to be taken by Joshua. David chose Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Why? Because God chose Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. I chose Tina as my wife because God chose Tina as my wife. <laughs> Isn't that cool? She's blowing me kisses right now. <laughs> so let me tell you what. Lot chose for himself, and as we will see in this story, he chose poorly. It was a bad choice because it was based on what he saw. He chose it for himself. He didn't give God an opportunity to lead him. In verse 11 of Genesis 13, So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan, and here's the second, third thing, he set out towards the east. Lot set out without any mention of prayer or asking God or inquiring of the Lord. If you read about David, King David's life, he was constantly inquiring of the Lord. How hard is it for us to take a pause and inquire of the Lord before we make a big decision, before we make a medium-sized decision, or possibly even a small decision? Why not breathe a quick question to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do? Instead of just setting out like Lot did, he set out without any mention of prayer. When we ask God, and, and you happen to be going in the wrong direction. So let's say you make a decision, you're headed in the wrong direction, and you ask God, Lord, am I going in the wrong direction? God will give you yield signs to warn you that you're going, that you're not going in the right direction. A yield sign could be that you have no peace as you're setting off and striking off on your own. Or it could be that things just aren't falling into place and, and, and everything's incongruent. It's not working out for you. Or you feel like you might be forcing something. Or the advice that godly people are telling you is telling you something otherwise. Or you find yourself so obsessed with what you're doing that it's consuming you. All of these are warning signs that God gives you to say, hey, stop, turn around. You see, Lot at any point could have turned around and come right back to where he was and asked God before things got too bad off. You don't have to suffer disaster to learn a lesson. Let God's Spirit lead you. And if you're headed in the wrong direction, He'll help you make a U-turn and get back to your starting point so that you can start making the right decisions. You have, the you and I both, we have the most powerful tool in the world to avoid bad decisions. And it's a four-lettered four word called wait. And uh, I, for instance, I woke up Saturday morning really thinking, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to do this. It's a work related thing. I think I'm going to do X, Y and Z. And because of lots of experience of waiting and not waiting, I'm going to wait a week. And before I do this thing at work, I'm going to wait and I'm going to make sure that the spirit of God is leading me, that I'm keeping God before me. King David spoke in the Psalms. He says, I keep the Lord always before me. Praise God. So we read on in verse 11 of Genesis 13 in this story. The two men parted company. That's Lot and Abram. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents 
near Sodom. Not in Sodom, near it. Now the, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now we see as soon as Lot gets down there, his eyes are opened and he begins to realize that there's a lot of wickedness, there's a lot of sin in Sodom. And, and so what seemed to be the garden of God turned out to be a nightmare cesspool. What looked to be good turned out to be horrible. And I can't tell you the number of times in my life where I set out and did something and went somewhere and what I thought was a great decision turned out to be the worst decision possible. Thank God for his mercy that he helps you through those decisions and gets you back on the straight and narrow. He gets you back on the, the highway of holiness. It's never too late, praise God. But let's read on in verse 14 of Genesis 13. And I'm going to read from the New King James Version because it, it says it a little bit more clearly. We go back to Abram, all right? We've been looking at Lot. He went down to the plain. He pitched his tents down there near Sodom. But what about Abram? The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now. Lift your eyes. He, he, you know, he didn't say, hey, Abram, look around like your nephew Lot did, because that's, ne that's what Lot did. He looked around and saw. God said, look up. Instead of looking around, look up. Now, and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. And P.S. Abram, even the plain down there that Lot just took, I'm giving that to you as well. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, when your offspring could be, um, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land. I'm giving it to you. So Abram went and lived near the great trees of Merah at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord, the theme of Abram's life over and over again. Offering his body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, holy and acceptable, our reasonable act of worship as described in Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's what Abram did. He, man, I'll tell you what, sometimes you think you got the raw end of the deal. You got the short end of the stick and God says, no way, no how. Let me tell you what, that's what it may seem like right now, but I've got something greater for you. I've got something bigger for you. No ear has heard, no eye has seen, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love God. Praise God. And that was Abram. So he built an, built an, uh, an altar. Now I want to pause here and mention a very, very important thing that we can't lose sight of. We can heap abuse on Lot and say, that loser, you know what? He was self-directed, self-governed. He didn't follow the Spirit of God. He was self-centered. We could pile it on, but all we would be doing is looking in the mirror. Every single one of us has done this and, and possibly doing it even right now. But you know what the amazing thing is in all of this? Lot was a righteous man. <laughs> That's what blows my mind. He was a righteous man. He was a self-led righteous man, but he was a righteous man altogether. We see in Genesis 18, this super long conversation that Abram has with God after he's heard from God that God is going to come down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. 
this long conversation where Abram is saying, God, if there's 45 righteous people in that valley, will you destroy it? God, if there's 25. And he goes down, and the, the crux of the matter is that God basically said, I'm, I'm going to protect Lot because he's righteous. That was the crux of the matter. And if we go into 2 Peter 2.6, it just comes right out and says it in the Bible. He says, it says in 2 Peter 2.6, if he condemned, this is God, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to, to ashes and making them a, an example of what is to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of lawlessness, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. You see, Lot was a righteous man but unfortunately, he was self-led. And you know what that tells me? Is you can be a Christian and you can be self-led and end with a miserable life. End with a miserable life. Anybody who's self-led, whether Christian or not, is not going to have a good life. The only good life results when you are spirit-led. When you let God and His Son Jesus lead your life. That's when your life becomes wonderful. Will you have problems and troubles and some suffering along the way? Yes, absolutely. But you want a wonderful life. Be spirit-led. My point here, though, is you can be a Christian and be self-led, and you can be self-led the rest of your life. You will never be what God wants you to be, though, if you do that. And you, and you won't reach that joy and that peace and all the fruits of the Spirit that God wants you to have while you're breathing, while you're alive. A self-led person looks around and decides based on what they see. A spirit-led person looks up and decides based on what God sees. A self-led person takes for themselves what they want. A spirit-led person receives what God has promised them. A self-led person ends up with nothing, as you'll see in the story of Lot. A spirit-led person ends up with everything. Wow! I don't know about you, but I want to learn the spirit-led life. So Lot's spirit-led progression was, first of all, he looked around and based his decisions on what he saw. He chose for himself. He set out on his own will and accord and lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. You know what? As a Christian, again, you can be self-led. You can be self-led by hurt and by being a victim. A Christian can be lived by, based on their hurts the rest of their lives and be led by their feeling of hurt. A Christian can be led by self-pity and resentment and always feeling like they never get what, what they deserve and always feeling like they're less than other people and so-and-so didn't do this for me and didn't do... You can let that lead you the rest of your life or you can let the Spirit of God lead you out of that mentality. All right, You can be led as a Christian by fear and worry the rest of your life. Go ahead, be my guest, but you will be miserable if you do that. You can be led by ambition, always trying to get ahead and be better than other people and trying to earn uh, by good works God's uh, you know, pleasure with you. But be led by the Spirit instead. It's far easier. 
You could be led by distraction the rest of your life as a Christian, or you could be led by always seeking the thrill of adventure the rest of your life. Why not be led by the Spirit of God instead? Let's read on. What happened to Lot when he decided to pitch his tent near Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, he got in the crosshairs of a conflict that he shouldn't have even been close to. It didn't even pertain to him. In Genesis 14, you read this whole long story of four kings from four city-states who attacked Sodom and Gomorrah. And now by, by this time, we read in verse 14 of verse 11 of Genesis 14, that now uh, old Lot, he's actually living in Sodom. He's already pulled up his tent stakes. He found himself some nice real estate right in the center of, of Sodom. And he's living right smack dab in the city. And he's about to regret it. <laughs> These four kings attack, attack Sodom and Gomorrah and they win. And they carry off all the people of these two cities, including Lot, all his family, all his possessions. When you are self-led, you are going to put yourself in all kinds of unnecessary danger. That's why the Bible says in Psalms 91 to stay in the secret place of the Most High, to stay under the shadow of the Almighty, because you're safe there. That's why you can, you can proclaim it will not come near me. Amen. This COVID-19, I'm in the I'm in the secret place of the Most High. I'm under the shadow of the Almighty. It will not come near me. But let me tell you what, when you come out from under the shadow and away from the secret place and you go and live in Sodom, there's going to be things that happen to you that didn't have to happen. It didn't have to happen that way. It didn't have to turn out that way. And so all kinds of unnecessary danger. Uh, he didn't have to go through this, but because he went his own way and didn't let God lead him, he became a victim of a war he should have never been a part of. But look at what a spirit-led man does. Flipping over to Abram in that same chapter of Genesis 14, verse 14, Abram finds out that his relative Lot has been taken captive. He calls together 318 trained men born in his household, and he went in pursuit of his, <laughs> of his nephew. Man, this dude was a tough hombre. Man, he was, you, you think meek is weak? Look at this. He took 300 men and pursued th four armies of four city-states and four kings. He went after these guys, and he was a foreigner. He could have gotten his, his komosiyama handed to him in a sling. But you know what? He went after them. The meek are not weak. During the night, Abraham divided his men to attack them, and he routed them. He pursued them as far as someplace that I can't pronounce. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions together with women and the other people. Praise God. That's what a spirit-led person does. They go in pursuit. They go to deliver. They go to conquer. They go, to, they, they go down on their knees and they pray for hours until those that they love are, are saved, are, are healed, are delivered. That's what the spirit-led person does. You get aggressive spiritually and you, you go, like the Bible says, 
The gates of hell aren't going to prevail against you. You've got the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You can bind and loose. You've been given authority over all the power of the enemy. That is if you are led of the Spirit. You're follower of Jesus. He's going he's gonna to delegate his authority to you and something is going to rise up into, in you so that you uh, cry out against injustice injustice praise god so maybe instead of taking to the streets i'm not against these protests as long as they're not violent but maybe instead of taking to the streets we need to begin to pray pray that policemen would never use excessive force but yet that they would do and be able to perform their duties that that black lives do matter amen and and we want to cry out against that injustice how do we cry out against it on our knees in the name of jesus that these lives would be protected and loved and delivered do you hear me that that's that's the the spirit-led person that's the change that we need to see in our society god loves us god wants to rescue us and the spirit-led man or woman is going to see that people's lives are delivered from social injustice praise god so in verse 17 of Genesis 14, after Abram returns from defeating, again, a name that I can't pronounce, um, the kings and, and the kings allied with these, these, these four kings, the king of Sodom, the king of Sodom came out to meet Abraham, Abram, excuse me, in this valley. Then another king, King Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. A spirit-led man tithed what he had to God Almighty. Now, I don't like talking about money too much in church. I think it's, it's overdone, but we don't want to underdo it at all. A spirit-led person is going to give, a, a give back to God what is God's. Amen? And Jesus spoke of this in the New Testament. Give to God what is God's and give to Caesar what is Caesar's. God expects us to pay our taxes, but God expects to, us to give to God what is His, and that's a tenth of our income. Continuing on, um, in verse 21 of Genesis 14, the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord most, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you may not be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. Let them have their share. Let me tell you what. You need the leading of the Holy Spirit to know how involved in this world you need to be. You know, at work, sometimes I'm invited to go to bars with people to go drink it up. Well, the Spirit of God has made it clear that I don't need to do that. But on the flip side, sometimes there's social events and right before dinner time at work, uh, I, I stand with people as they're drinking uh, beer or drinking whatever they drink, 
I don't drink with him, but I stand with him and I converse with him. I let the Holy Spirit guide me as to what I need to do in every situation because not every situation is equal. In this case, the Spirit of God led Abraham to say, have nothing to do with the king of Sodom. Have nothing to do with the king of Sodom. In other cases, Jesus ate and drank with sinners, with people who were... uh, wicked they were bad they were evil but jesus sat with them let the spirit of god guide you as to what you should or shouldn't do because every situation is different but uh i'm not going to repeat everything that i just said (laughs) a spirit-led person will refuse anything that has to do with wickedness and that's where we draw the line if it's wicked i don't want to have anything to do with it i don't want to have anything to do with it well, let's, let's switch gears. We're not too far from being done, so you can put your shoes on. Uh, not that you're going to go anywhere. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to look in Genesis 19, and here God has declared, he's already told Abram, Abram in Genesis 18 that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so two angels disguised as men arrive at Sodom to rescue Lot. That's their mission. They're kind of like these special ops guys that you see in the army. They come in on a special mission covertly. They came in with a very specific purpose, and they came to accomplish it, and failure was not going to be an option. So two angels in Genesis 19 arrive in Sodom at evening, and Lot, now we find Lot sitting at the gateway of the city. First he was up with Abram, then he's down camping out close by, Then he goes in and lives in the city, and now we find him at the gateway of the city, which uh, uh, biblical historians and archaeologists, (laughs) I can't pronounce it, um, uh, would uh, believe this to indicate that he was somewhat of a city council member now. He was actually so influenced by Sodom that he had been elected (laughs) as a city council member maybe by Sodom. It's crazy, but he's sitting at the city gateway. He wasn't just living among them. He and his family had become a part of their society, so much so that he sat at their gate and was, was probably somewhat highly esteemed by these folks. When he saw these two men arrived, he got up to meet them, bowed down his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. We can, uh, we'll wash your feet. Please spend the night at my house and you can be up and, and gone early in the morning. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. So any town back, back then would have had a square maybe with a, a well or a fountain or something. And they said, no, we'll stay at the square. He insisted so strongly, that's Lot, insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them and baked bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, and and I want you to notice, it says every man. Does that mean some men? No, every single man, and we'll see what that means in just a second, surrounded the house they called out to lot and they said where are the men who came to you last night now we have probably some children on the line so i'm not going to read the next sentence but they they wanted to mistreat these two men in verse six lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind them so lot opened his door went out to meet all the men that he he dealt with on a daily basis 
shut the door behind them. He said, no, friends, don't do this wicked thing. I'm going to go ahead and skip the next couple of sentences because Lot, Lot offered something that was completely uh, beyond understanding for a righteous man, but he did it. And um, he, he went on to say, he said, but don't do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. Uh, well, there's some level of honor there, at least on Lot's part. In verse 9, they said, get out of our way. This fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moving toward, forward to break down the door. But the men inside, the two men, the two angels, reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men of Sodom who were outside the, the house, both young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, son-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against the, its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws, i.e., some of the men that were outside trying to do vicious things to these other two men. He went out to his, son, to his son-in-laws who were pledged to be married to his daughters. What kind of men were these? He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-law thought he was joking. <laughs> these son-in-laws thought he was joking. You know, if you're not habitually being spirit-led. In other words, you're not practicing following the Holy Spirit every day, all day. People aren't going to take you serious whenever you are serious. It's so important that our lives be consistently led by the Spirit day in and day out so that when we speak or announce something from the Lord, people pay attention to us. Life is too short for people to think we're joking around when we're serious. That was on lot, by the way. He hadn't been spirit-led up until then. Verse 15, With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Why on earth did Lot hesitate? You know why? Because he was used to being self-led. When the Holy Spirit took him by the hand and began to pull him, he hesitated. Why? Because he wasn't used to the Holy Spirit carrying him, leading him, pushing him, prodding him. When you are self-led, you fall in love with the things of this world. And it's very hard to let go when God is telling you to let go. Now, if you form the habit of and the practice of letting the Spirit of God lead your life, it's easy to follow because you're attracted to the desires of the Spirit. Those desires are natural for you. While your natural self, those desires become less and less appealing to you. That's why Romans 8, 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, that means enjoying and appreciating the leading of the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
As soon as they brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. We're back into the story now. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. There was an urgent leading of the Spirit at that time. And I've had urgent leadings in my life before as well. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant is, if your servant has found favor in your eyes, and, and you have shown me great kindness by sparing my life, but can't I flee? I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a, a, a town near, uh, near enough for me to run to. It's small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. You know, the person who's, who's not being spirit-led tries to negotiate with God. You try to, to, to cut a deal with God and say, you know what, can't, can't we do this instead? You know what, God, my bad moods are okay, aren't they? It, it, this is okay, right? It's okay for me to be lazy, it's, isn't, it, isn't it, God? And, and I can't help uh, that I'm not loving my spouse the way that I should. Isn't that okay, God? No, when you're spirit-led, there's no negotiating. You do what God tells you to do. When? Are you going to get tired of your empty, dead-end life without God? And when are you going to get so sick of your misery that you run for the hills with your guardian angels to escape sure catastrophe? What is it going to take for, for each of us to arouse ourselves out of this, this perilous slumber that we're in and, and begin to reach out for God's mercy and salvation? I'll tell you what, you know, I'm not talking physically here. It's time to run for the hills, to get out of Dodge, to get out of Sodom, to run towards God, to get close to Him, to begin a spirit-led life. Well, it says in verse 21 where we're reading, He said to them, Very well, I will grant you this request too. I will not overthrow the, the town that you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. And that's why the town was called Zoar. Well, I looked up what Zoar means, and it means small. Sure enough, life's li Lot's life was small. His future was small. His hope was small. Everything had become small for him, and he'd started off so large. It's so tragic. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land, and the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation of the land. All that beautiful garden of the Lord that seemed so pretty was destroyed. But Lot's wife looked around, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Guess what? Lot's family grew smaller. He lost his wife in the process as well. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards the land of the plain, and there he saw a dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. And I bet Abraham thought to himself, Man, am I ever glad I looked up and didn't look around. Man, am I ever glad that the Spirit of God led me and I didn't lead myself. Look what I avoided. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. You might ask, is this a fairy tale? Was this made up? Does God really have a limit on incessant sin, evil, and wickedness? Does God ever, ever finally punish wickedness? Well, we find in Genesis 6, 5 and the following verses that at some point God did get fed up. When every inclination of every human being 
before the flood was bent on evil, God finally destroyed the earth <laughs> with a flood. And we see that in Genesis 15, 16, uh, that God says the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. There's a full measure of wickedness and sin and evil when God on this earth punishes. He punishes. He really does. And, and this, is, this is wickedness outside of a Christian's life, okay? God disciplines Christians. Eventually, God will punish the wicked, all right? There's a difference between discipline and punishment. I don't believe there's anywhere in the Bible that says that God punishes the righteous. He does discipline them. That's different. Punishment is has a finality to it, has condemnation to it. It has separation to it. God only disciplines us. Praise God. Well, we find out. Believe me, I'm done here. Okay. Verse 30 of what chapter were we in? Genesis 19. Okay. Verse 30. Lot, we find at the end of his life with two daughters left in Zoar. Finally, he settles in the mountains because he's afraid to stay in Zoar. And he and his two daughters lived in a cave. And there's a little ugly story that follows that as well. But at the end of the lot, his life, Lot is left in a cave with nothing. He was self-led. He lost everything. I'll tell you what, I don't want to be that way. He started off with flocks and herds. He looked around instead of looking up to God. He chose for himself without, without asking for divine direction. He set out willfully. He lived among the cities close to the influence of the world. Then he ended up living in Sodom under the influence of the world. Then he was seated in the gateway of the city, identifying with the world. And then he lost everything, including his life in the world, and ended up in a cave. What a tragic story of a righteous man who was self-led. Now, I, my guess is I'm talking to maybe all Christians, all Christians. If I'm not, I plead with you, open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Have his righteousness come into your life. But whether you're a Christian, whether you're not, get to the place, first of all, of, of letting Jesus live in your life, but be spirit-led. Stop making selfish, self-centered, willful decisions and choosing for yourself. Let God help you in your decisions and, and pursue that inner journey of being led to the fruits of the Spirit. I hope that makes sense to everybody. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Heavenly Father, because you care for us. You give us warning signs. You give us the Bible to direct us and guide us and giving us examples of people such as Abram and Lot, one self-led, one spirit-led, and show us the difference between the two. Lord God, I pray that from wherever we're at, if we're in the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, that we would run for the hills as fast as we can, straight towards you, O oh God. Lord Jesus, if we're standing up on that high place and looking down and trying to decide, do I want to go with what seems good, or do I want to look up and receive God's promise for my life? He has plans to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us hope and a future. Lord, help us to look up and to begin to be led by the Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us to apply these truths in our lives this week, I pray. In your name I ask these things. Amen.